0: Today is Sunday, September 5th, 2021. The guest speaker at SVBC is Brother Walt Stevens, serving as missionary to the Roma people. For more information about our church, you can visit svbcfamily.com or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you on kind of a dreary you know, cool morning, but that's okay. You know, after the heat we had a few weeks ago and everything, this is this really feels nice. Um, did want to let you know and you know, all that as you came in this morning you saw the dirt piles and all outside and all. We are having a gopher problem and all. <laughs> No, not not really. We're getting things taken care of as far as the drainage and all that. And, uh, you know, be in prayer as the guys have been doing that. Daryl was just sharing with me. Looks like that um, they're going to try something that would keep us from having to dig up all around the building. And if that works, you know, then praise God for that. OK, but we'll continue to be in prayer and just thank the Lord that he is uh, um Uh, provide it you know that we can do these things i wanted to share with you real quick uh, we had our awana kickoff wednesday evening and it just went tremendous and all i think started off with 32 kids and all that were here and um that was with some missing becky is that right that was with some uh, missing that will be coming so praise the lord for that our awana starts next week next wednesday evening so that season is going um just before we begin the service and everything, um, guests, thank you for being here this morning. In the pew in front of you is a guest card. We're going to ask that you take that. If you would fill that out, please. And at the end of the service, there's a table out back that uh, uh, our uh, one of our uh, guest greeters will be there. And we have a gift for you for visiting here with us at Shenandoah Valley. And we appreciate you coming today. Thank you. You may be seated. He does work all things in his time, doesn't he? Sometimes we wonder, God, where are you at? If you really got this thing under control, in his time, he's got it all there. This morning, Brother Walt Stevens is with us. Walt and I go back to the 80s back in Ohio. And all where we first met, he was at the uh, Cleveland Baptist Temple, I believe. And uh, I was pastoring just south of Cleveland there in Brunswick. And uh, we've uh, met up quite a few times. you know, through those years, and uh, learned to enjoy him, his ministry. Walt is a gypsy. He'll tell you a little bit more about that, but um, has a ministry to gypsies and all in Florida and Ohio and also over in Romania. So, Walt, you come on up, brother. It is all yours, and um, bring the Word, brother.
1: Amen. Praise the Lord. Did y'all get that all right? Yeah. That's scriptural tongues, and I'm going to interpret for you. I've got some feedback up here, brother. May be blessed to the Lord, my brothers and sisters, and of his son, uh, the dear Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege here to be with you this morning. I thank the Lord for the opportunity. As your pastor has mentioned, we go way back, and uh, precious friends, he and his wife and family, and I thank the Lord for him and his ministry these many, many years, as he has already mentioned, I am a fourth generation gypsy myself. Raised here in the United States, my great grandparents came from different parts of Eastern Europe, there was no specific country as they were the wanderers of Europe. I greeted you in the gypsy language. Our people have preserved their language even here in the United States and all over the world. On my display, there's a photograph of my uh, maternal great grandparents, great uncles and grandfather. And I was raised in a traditional gypsy home in America. Uh, I won't go into deep detail about the history of the gypsy people because the video presentation will do that. But uh, gypsies in America and all over the world do not assimilate into society, sometimes by their choice, sometimes by the choice by the society in which they live. The reason being, and of course you're gonna see it in the video, is that Hitler killed 600,000 of my people in the Holocaust. Not to forget the six million Jews and the hundreds of thousands of allied military personnel who gave their life in that war. As a result, when a people group, uh, there's an attempt of annihilation them walls go up and uh, the Jews did it and of course our people did it. And so uh, we, we protect ourselves from outsiders of whoever they may be. And so uh, raised in a t- traditional gypsy home in America, uh, I was raised to be a con man by my parents and I was a con man in a traveling carnival. Before my conversion. Married within the culture, my late wife that passed away in 2017, we would have celebrated 46 years of marriage had she lived through December of that year. But while we were in Eastern Europe establishing churches amongst the gypsies there, we lived in Hungary, had ministries there, but also crossed the border into Romania, where we have several ministries. Uh, she was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. She battled that on and off for nine years until it metastasized to her lungs. And if you know anything about cancer, I hope you never do. But if you do, once cancer's metastasized, doctors don't talk about cure anymore. They don't even use the word remission. They talk stabilized cancer. And so finally, the cancer had taken her, and she went home to be with Jesus. She's healed of cancer now, amen? And um, But uh, that brought us back to the United States. We've been establishing uh, ministries to gypsies in existing Baptist churches in America. Our first, as pastors mentioned, was at the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. That ministry will celebrate 31 years of, as a ministry of the Cleveland Baptist Church. And gypsies are in major communities all around our country. National Geographic says there's 40 million around the world. United States government says there's a million. I don't know how anybody comes up with those numbers, but it's the only documented numbers I have. I believe the populations are much higher because gypsies, because of their social behavior do not necessarily answer the senses so I believe there are many many more gypsies around the world but those are the numbers that I have that are documented and uh, prior to our conversion in 1980 as I said I was a con man at a traveling carnival my late wife was a fortune teller in Ohio and married within the culture I was 16 she was 20 there's no dating amongst the gypsy culture in America my wife was chosen for me by my parents I was chosen for her by her parents I always say that My mom and dad did a great job, but I'm not sure about her folks. And uh, prior to our wedding day in December 1971, we had never carried a conversation one with another till after the wedding reception. Prior to the wedding, we weren't allowed to be in the same room together alone. We weren't allowed to talk to one another. It was taboo. And uh, she lived in Youngstown, Ohio. We were southwest Ohio near Dayton. And we had gone up to Youngstown in preparation for the wedding and one cold November night, late November, uh, they were. she was making some homemade biscuits and serving some gypsy tea for our family. Now, the biscuits are no different than your biscuits. Gypsy tea is a little different, only that we serve it in a tall water glass. Don't sweeten it with sugar. We sweeten it with fruit, strawberries, and all different kinds of things. So our family went over to have biscuits and tea. I went there to look at my future wife. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, wanted to be suave and debonair, and I was going to open up some dialogue, I was going to break the rules, and I just commented to her how great the biscuits were, and she responded by sticking her tongue out at me. I knew she was crazy about me then, amen? But God put us together and we set out on a course to su- become a successful uh, gypsy couple by the standards of the gypsy people. And the standard of success for a gypsy woman in our culture is determined by how successful of a fortune teller she is. Matter of fact, it's the money making, fortune telling maidens who get married first because they're an asset to the family they go to. They're breadwinners. Uh, my My uh, success was determined by how much money my fortune telling wife made for me and the prestige it gave me in the culture. And so, the first nine years of our marriage, we had achieved that so called success that the culture dictated to us and that the television set dictated to us that if we were to have all these things, we would be happy. My goal was to be a millionaire. By the time I reached the age of 40, at the age of 25, I was on my way to satisfying that goal. But one morning, I say without exaggeration, I woke up literally empty on the inside. I couldn't recognize anything but a vacancy, a void, a vacuum that I couldn't satisfy anymore. A new car wouldn't do it, a vacation wouldn't do it, more money wouldn't do it, I was just empty. And I had come to the realization that my life had been a lie. No one told me it was, I just woke up realizing it had been a lie. I was tired of the pretend, I was tired of the fake, I was tired of the phony, I wanted real, I wanted genuine, Genuine. I wanted truth. But I didn't know what truth was. I was raised in the midst of lies. As a young boy, if I would perform the con, my parents would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, my parents would reprimand me. That'll confuse a 10-year-old boy. And I just set out on an adventure, if you will, a trek, a journey, trying to answer that proverbial question, what's it all about? What's life all about? Beautiful wife, four beautiful children, everything that you could have that would normally be contentment, I was not content. And I'm ashamed to say that I looked for that truth in many of the wrong places, but God knew my heart, knew my desire to know truth, and brought a gospel witness across my path. Little did I know Little did I realize the truth is a person and his name is Jesus. Amen. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. Right. It was uh, springtime of 1980. I had carnival concessions and I had a friend that I was raised with who had the carnival rides. Now you just can't set up your concessions in the middle of nowhere. People won't come. It's the rides that draw the people to the festival. And this man, our family would never work with him in the past. He was a terrible, wicked man, more wicked than we were. He was on drugs and alcohol. He would literally beat his employees. And his marriage was in a terrible relationship. But my late wife and I had heard that he'd become a born-again Christian. Now we really didn't know what that was, but we felt that religion might have changed him enough that we could work with him. So very early in the spring of 1980, May to be exact, we brought our carnival concessions and hooked them up with his ride company. And right away, we saw a dramatic change in this man's life. He was off of drugs and alcohol. He had a good relationship with his employees and his marriage was in the healing process. He was a young convert. He would fumble to the scriptures to show me how to be saved. But he said three words in May of 1980. You need Jesus. Now I had heard those words from others before, but it never meant anything because whoever told them to me were not living their lives as thus I thought Jesus would live his life. This man's life was living up to the thought, fact that he knew Jesus. One of the things that impressed me most about this man was the teardown night of the carnival. It's a very dangerous night. It's when we tear down the heavy equipment, hitch up trucks and trailers, and move to the next fair festival. It could be a couple hundred miles. A piece of heavy equipment could fall and somewhere. There could be a traffic accident. And I'd watch him in the wee hours of the morning. He'd go behind a concession trailer or a tree, and I'd watch him pray. And something set inside of me that he knew something or someone that I did not know. That was the beginning of the carnival season of 1980. The carnival season ends in the fall of that year. Matter of fact, that we were in Loudonville, Ohio during the Loudonville Street Fair. It was the last festival of the year. Me and this gentleman were gonna separate for six months. I wouldn't see him again for another six months. And those three words, you, me, Jesus, went round and round in my head for six months, took that long road to my heart. And October 4th, 1980, during the Loudonville Street Fair, we took over the whole town, the games and the rides were on the streets, our travel trailers were parked in parking lots of businesses, our trucks, our semis, our trailers, were parked there, and I went to him at the last day of the festival, it was a Saturday. His name is Joel. And I said, Joel, you told me I need Jesus. Tell me how do I get Jesus? And in his infant faith, he said to me, Walter, get alone with Jesus. Tell him that you're a sinner. Tell him that you're lost. And ask him to come into your heart and save you. October 4th, 1980, I went back to my travel trailer. I knelt beside my bed, I looked toward the heavens, and I prayed a prayer something like this. I said, dear Lord Jesus, I don't understand the Bible. I said, Jesus, I don't understand Christianity. I told him definitely that I didn't understand the church, but I did tell him I was a lost sinner. And I asked him to come into my heart. And to save me i even closed that prayer with this phrase take me to heaven when i die and you know what god did at that very moment he saved my wicked soul he established my feet upon the rock the lord jesus and i've never been the same since and i love saying this testimony i believe in a gospel that saves a man I believe in a gospel that keeps a man saved, and I believe in a gospel that changes the way a man lives. And God began to make dramatic changes in my life. We came home off the carnival circuit, and in the gypsy culture, it's a male-dominated culture. We're not much at staying home dads or husbands. But that fall, I began to stay home. I washed dishes and I changed diapers. And my wife said to me, what happened to you? (laughs) Her name was Dolly. I said, Dolly, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior and he changed me. And I presented the gospel to her and she received Christ as her personal savior. I'll make a longer story shorter. We took a chainsaw to the fortune telling sign and cut it up into hundreds of pieces. We parked the carnival equipment and got involved in a good independent Baptist church in Southwest Ohio. After we took down the fortune-telling sign, our culture ostracized us. My two sisters didn't speak with my wife for two years. Remember, her worth was determined by how successful a fortune-teller she was. And so what the American flag is to you and I, the gypsy fortune-telling sign is to the gypsy. It's a symbol of their identity. And our families thought that we were leaving the culture. In those two years of being ostracized, we got rooted in the church. And we grew and eventually began serving, getting baptized, serving in the local church. God called me in the winter of 1985 to preach God's word. I had the privilege of being trained by my local church pastor, served as youth director for several years, moved into the church parsonage, and received the paycheck for doing the Lord's work. It amazed me I would have paid him to serve him. And we began praying for the gypsy people, specifically at the United States, all the major cities of America that have the highest populations of gypsies. Just down the road in the Washington, D.C. area is a large population. Baltimore, Maryland, where my tribe of gypsies are from and all over the United States. And we began lifting them up in prayer, saying, God, send someone to the gypsy people. We knew someone had to be sent. And it wasn't long while we were praying that prayer that the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart. And he said, what about you? And I said, oh, no, not me, Holy Spirit. I'm second man of the Crossroad Baptist Church. Youth department is growing. Souls are being saved. And the Holy Spirit whispered back and said, no, I have molded you. I have made you to reach your own people. And the hardest thing I've ever done in my Christian life, I say it without exaggeration, was when I went to my pastor's office to tell him that we were being called away to the mission field. You'd say, Brother Stevens, why was that so difficult? This is the preacher who taught us this book. This is the preacher who taught us how to pray. This is the preacher that if you could teach a man how to preach, taught me how to preach. This is the preacher who would come to our home in broad daylight with a fortune-telling sign on the front lawn. how that impressed me? What if his people had seen him come? Maybe they would think he was coming to get next Sunday's message, you know? But he loved us just like Jesus loves us. And so we began to weep in his office we began to pray, and God gave us a plan. We met with Dr. Charles Keene of pastor emeritus of First Baptist Church of Milford, Ohio, a great missions pastor. I hooked up with a mission board out of Jacksonville, Florida called Baptist Missions to Forgotten Peoples. We did about 13 months of deputation, moved from southwest Ohio to northeast Ohio where we established the first ministry, our first ministry among the gypsy people in Cleveland. Since that time, we went to Miami and started another ministry. We were ministering to gypsies in Pittsburgh, ministering to gypsies in Detroit, and then in 1995, began making trips after the fall of communism communism in Eastern Europe, where eventually went full-time in 2003 and established churches amongst the gypsies of Hungary and Romania. Matter of fact, at 4 a.m. this morning, I had an internet service with one of our churches in Romania. I went back to bed afterwards, though. I wanted to do it in my pajamas, but it was a video. Uh, And God has just been blessing our ministries. I tried to be a widower. Matter of fact, I really worked at it. But when you lose a loved one, you deal with two things, grief and loneliness. Grief subsides, it kind of scars over. A song, a restaurant, a church, a pastor, and his friend and his wife from old memories will open that wound again. And so my grief subsided or scarred over, but my loneliness wouldn't go away. I'm an itinerant preacher. People ask me, where do you live, Brother Stevens? I say, out of the trunk of my car. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gets lonely when you're by yourself in a car. It gets lonely in a hotel room. I wouldn't eat inside the dining room in restaurants because they didn't want to eat alone, so I would go through drive-thrus. There was french fries all over the floorboard of my car. And so I began to pray that God would bring a special lady into my life. But keep in mind, I'm an independent, fundamental, KJV, Bible-believing preacher, the field is very narrow, and I began to pray that God would bring someone, but it was kind of like a conflict of interest for me. I was going into these churches to preach, evangelize, present our ministry, uh, but I was also looking for the widows without a ring on their left hand, (laughs) and so I gave up. I really did. I just gave up. After my late wife passed away, I moved from the West Coast of Florida to the East Coast of Florida because that's where my son is an assistant pastor and I needed some grandkid therapy. And the grandparents said, Mm -hmm. I have three grandchildren there. And I have three supporting churches in Melbourne, so I wouldn't attend the same church over and over. I would alternate. And one Wednesday night in October, I was attending the Heritage Baptist Church where Ryland Millett is pastor. Dear friend of mine, we go back like me and you. And they don't usually have special music on Wednesday night. But that night, a gorgeous redhead was singing. And I had noticed that she didn't have a ring finger on her left hand. And she sang the song entitled, Hello. And the song is about getting to heaven. And you see Jesus. You say, hello. You see your loved ones that have gone before you. And you say, hello. Hello. So after the service was over, I went up to her and I said, Hello. <laughs> and God put us together. And Simone and I just celebrated two years of marriage, August 25th. She's a gospel singer. She has a gospel singing ministry. She led choir in a Baptist church in Palm Bay, Florida, for 15 years. She was also singing in the prison systems of Florida, not from the inside. She would come from the outside in and sing. And so I applied for the volunteer status. Would you believe they accept me, Brother Don? And uh, so ev- the first Friday of every month, her and I minister in the prison system. We have a gypsy ministry in Kissimmee, Florida. That we meet every Thursday, that God is blessing that ministry. We had a gypsy ministry in St. Petersburg, but the gypsies have not been in church for a year and a half because they're so afraid of COVID. And God has just been blessing our ministries. I also minister in Pakistan. Several years ago, I was contacted by a national gypsy pastor in Pakistan who said that he needed training for the ministry. His father was the pastor, he passed away, he inherited the ministry was never trained and he wanted me to train him and his people so via the internet every Friday I train this pastor's already trained I train others and we have bible studies every Friday in the past uh, several years we were able to purchase our own building Uh, they they're under great persecution right now there is a version of Taliban if you know that Afghanistan and and Pakistan are neighboring countries there's a version of Taliban in Pakistan and they're persecuting our gypsy believers there and we had not met for a few weeks until the day before yesterday we had our Bible study and God just blessed it in a great way. We thank the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. Let me remind you of my display in the foyer. Please stop by at the service. One of my regrets of being in a church is that I'm here for such a short amount of time so I won't be rushing out. Stop by and pick up a prayer card. I know that missionaries parade this platform seeking prayer, and you may say, Brother Stevens, they're they're looking for a lot of people to pray for them. No, we're looking for the right people to pray for us, those who know, know how to touch the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus. And believe you me, there's a bullseye on the back of missionaries, especially those working with gypsies. We know the second closest thing to a Baptist heart, and that's why we put a recipe on the backside. Amen? Amen. <laughs> One thing I didn't have to change after I got saved was my eating habits. Lost gypsies and saved Baptists eat the same way. This is Simone's recipe for gypsy cabbage rolls. They're absolutely awesome. The only thing is that if you decide to prepare them and they might be a little spicy, don't bother calling us for Tums of age. You're on your own. Amen? Six years ago, a little over six years ago, we started our own organization called ROMA. That's the politically correct term for the people. It's the ROMA Outreach Missions Association. Uh, we're up to 22 missionaries not just working with gypsies, but marginalized peoples all over the world. On our way to the major mission fields of the world, we bypass many pockets of people, ethnic groups who are right here in our back door. We have very large Spanish populations in our country in major cities who need to be reached with the gospel. I'm all for reaching the major mission fields, but I'm also for reaching those in our Jerusalem. And so the mission field has come to us. And so Roma focuses not just on reaching the gypsies, but also other marginalized People groups, and we praise the Lord that God has been blessing this ministry. So please stop by the display. The DVD presentation will be an educational presentation, and that's part of my ministry, is educating the body of Christ on a people group that we didn't believe exist. If you look up Gypsy and Webster's, it just says a dark haired, dark eyed nomadic people. Well, that covers a lot of people. When I was calling pastors 30 years ago for meetings, I would tell them I'm going to read gypsies. They'd say, You're going to read who? We will not reach out to a people group we do not believe exists. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so the first part of the presentation is educational. It's like a documentary. But then you'll see specifics of our ministry. I hope that will be a blessing to you.
2: Fragment of grandma's imagination—you know, the grandma that used to warn you that the gypsies might kidnap you—are they mythical characters of werewolf and vampire movies? Are they, as Webster describes, a dark-haired, dark-eyed nomadic people? Well, yes, they are people human lives with ever-living, never-dying souls, existing in their own very secretive and private worlds. They are moms, dads, sons, daughters, grandmas, grandpas. They are people who are very much like you and me, but yet very different. They are a people who have not blended into any society in which they live. A people who have become a culture within a culture worldwide. An ethnic group who have preserved their language and speak it in almost every country of their sojourn. A closed society who only married those of their own race, with very few exceptions. Gypsies, or as they are properly called, the Roma people, originated in India. It is believed that they began to migrate westward to other countries way back in the 10th century. Some experts teach that they possibly left India due to the fact that they were the lowest of the low of the Hindi caste system of religious belief, where they were known as the untouchables, the pariahs, the dogs, the outcasts. But not only were they the outcasts of India, they soon began to find that wherever they went in the world, they came to be rejected as outcasts there as well. As they wandered from country to country, their plight only worsened. Throughout Europe, they were hated and shunned. They were Romania's Sigan, Germany's Zigenur, Greece's Giftos, and Spain's gitanos all variations of the same word. Outcasts. They were enslaved in many Eastern European countries for several centuries. Yet even with their emancipation in the mid-1800s, their situation only worsened as gypsy persecution escalated. Under Hitler and World War II Germany, they were considered to be pollution to the Aryan race, to be treated as rodents, pests, and parasites that needed to be exterminated from the fatherland. It has been estimated that some 600,000 gypsies were slaughtered in Hitler's death camps. The Nazis would use the long, dark, beautiful hair of the gypsy women to stuff the mattresses of their military. And they would rip the silver and gold from gypsy mouths to fuel the Third Reich's war machine. And even today in Europe, little has changed for the Roma people. Though they are the so-called poster children of human rights violations for the European Union, the persecution and hatred is still about the same. In many former communist countries, they were given parcels of land, but always on the outskirts of town. Under the socialist regimes, they received welfare checks in a feeble attempt to solve the so-called Roma problem. Since the supposed fall of communism, they are now even more destitute. There is still the same old hatred and discrimination against them. Most businesses and industries will not employ them. Thus, they resort to begging or stealing or conning for their survival. Of course, as you can well imagine, such behaviors make their reputation among the indigenous people among whom they live only worse. The physical condition of Roma people is heartbreaking to say the least. Yet they endure something more terrible than all of this. Far worse than the hatred and poverty is the spiritual condition of their souls. Imagine the horror of living out the wretched history of ostracized existence that the Roma have experienced, only to end up spending eternity in hell, separated from God himself and his people, forever. This is a situation far too intolerable to believe or accept. Yet, tragically... Because the Gypsies have been one of the most hated people groups in the world, they have also been one of the least evangelized ethnic groups in existence today. How then do we reach these folks? A people that Satan has held in his clutches for centuries. People who are lost and entangled in a web of sin, fortune-telling, thievery, idol worship, tradition, superstition, and hatred toward all other races. God has to do a remarkable work of grace in reaching a handful of gypsies and then burdening and equipping them to reach back into their culture with the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. I could
1: wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh.
2: Introducing, Roma Outreach Missions Association. As the Church faces perilous times in these last days, we must consider that the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is imminent. With a burning passion and love for God and His Son, being led by the Holy Spirit and energized with a sense of urgency, We endeavor to create an organization that reaches out to the unreached and overlooked people groups of the world with the gospel. We consider the Roma people to be the prime example of these unevangelized and while we will focus primarily on the gypsies of the world, we will also include all forgotten and marginalized people groups. By God's grace, we will accomplish these goals by educating the body of Christ, making sure that these neglected people are exposed to the church and no longer kept secret. And we will do so for the specific purposes of raising up manpower and finances to evangelize, plant churches, train preachers, and call forth an army of saints to do the same.
1: Well, I hope that was a blessing to you, but it also might have uh, created more questions than it answered, and so I'll be by my display after the service, stop by, and ask some questions if the Lord leads you to do so. Turn away from your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 8, Acts, chapter 8. I need to put this disclaimer in here. I'm an old-fashioned fire and brimstone preacher, and I don't apologize for it, that's how God wired me. I'm very enthusiastic and I'm animated. I hope that my enthusiasm and my animation won't offend you. If it does, then don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to the Word of God, amen? Acts chapter 8, we want to begin reading at the fifth verse. Would you accommodate me and stand for the reading of God's Word? It may not be your custom to do so if you have the strength and ability to to stand. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we have to stand for the reading of God's Word. But I work with primitive people who don't understand the importance of this book. so we have them stand to honor and revere the word of God. And when you stand, it makes me feel at home. Acts chapter 8, beginning at the fifth verse. We'll just read a few verses. I'll read aloud as you follow in silence. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And the theme, the title of the message comes from the eighth verse, and there was great joy in that city. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to be here. You know my heart's desire. You know what I've already been praying about ever since Pastor Don and I established this date. I ask God that you use me to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing to Pastor Don, my dear friend, and his precious wife and family. I want to be a blessing, Father, to this, the bride of Christ. But most important of all, Father, I want to be a blessing to the heart of my Savior, the Lord Jesus, for it's in his name we do pray with thanksgiving. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I appreciate your project here, with hope for Appalachia. I sent a picture of it uh, to my wife because she is from Kentucky. Matter of fact, I have a hard time keeping shoes on her. <laughs> But uh, that's a, we uh, send uh, humanitarian aid to our gypsies every Christmas and Easter. Last year, we sent over two tons of all different kinds of basic needs. They're very poor people. Uh, this year, the shipping borders are closed right now. Hopefully that they'll open again, but we just took to the shipper 1,500 pounds and probably have twice as much as that ready to ship. The, the shipping cost is what's ex- uh, very exorbitant And so pray that we'll be able to raise the funds to get it shipped there. I'm preaching this morning on the subject, great joy in the cities of the world. We see in verse eight that great joy came to the people of Samaria. Look at the verse there. And there was great joy in that city. But how does joy come to a people? When I met the gypsy people in Eastern Europe for the first time, this is post-communist Eastern Europe. I have one word to describe what communism does to a people, it rapes them. It rapes them of pride and ambition and the desire to succeed when you're working and everything goes back to the government and they may trickle just a little bit back to you, you become very discouraged and very despondent. And our gypsy people being on the bottom of the financial totem pole are completely destitute of the basic needs of life. Many times Americans would come to visit us, they would take mission trips to come to visit us and we would go to the gypsy people and they would say to me, Brother Stevens, why don't you buy your gypsies some soap? Or why don't you buy them some toothpaste or toothbrushes or lice shampoo? And of course, I had bought those things for them many, many times, cases and cases of soap and, and toothbrush and toothpaste and, and lice shampoo. But do you know what the gypsies do with it? They, it? they sell it to the Romanians because they'd rather go to bed with lice in their head than to go to bed hungry. And so we have no concept of that in America, what it means to go hungry and to be poor. But we brought great joy to them because, number one, we did not necessarily answer all their physical needs. But watch, church, we satisfied the longing of their soul. We satisfied their spiritual need. And the psalmist writes and says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Our goal, our responsibility, our call is not to take care of the social aspect of ministry. Though we feed, we have four feeding centers where we feed 300 gypsy children, upward of 300 gypsy children, one meal a day, five days a week. You say, why don't you feed them six and seven? Well, you do the math, that's a lot of food. Costs a lot of money. But that's not what God has called me to do, is to satisfy the hungry bellies of children. One of the reasons we started these feeding centers is I heard a Haitian missionary say one time, it's very difficult to preach the gospel to growling stomachs. They're not concerned about the things of the spirit, they're concerned about the things of the flesh. But just like Jesus did in John chapter 6, he fed them and then he preached the gospel to them and said, "Labor labor not for the meat that perishes. And so God has brought great joy to the gypsies of the world. But what is the process, what is the pathway, what is the prescription, if you will, to get Great joy into the hearts and lives of the people in the community in which we live. Where we shop, where we go, where we conduct business. What is the great jo- the pathway to bring great joy? In our story we read about the Samaritan people. And the Samaritan people remind me of, a, of my gypsies. They were a rejected people. They were people who were looked down upon by the Jews because they had polluted the bloodline of the Jewish people. They were the half breeds, if you will, who went to the north. Ten tribes. And the Bible says in John chapter 4 verse 9, for the Jews Have no dealings with the Samaritans. But we also know in the same chapter of the Gospel of John, in the verse, in verse 4, it says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. If you know your geography at the time of Christ, he did not have to go through Samaria to get to his destination, but he did so on purpose because he was going to meet a woman at a well who needed to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen? And so the Samaritan people are those who are open to the things of God. You know, we've never coined the phrase, the good Jew. We've never coined the phrase, the good Roman, but we have coined the phrase, the good Samaritan, have we not? Because the Samaritan people, the downtrodden people of the world, Jesus told us to go into the highways and hedges, did he not? to those who are on the fringe of society. That's what Rome is about. That's what our mission age is about, going to those who are on the fringe of society. And Jesus brought great joy into the city of Samaria as great joy has come to our gypsies in the cities where we work in Europe and here in the United States. Most of the world is in great despair, it's obvious. Words like joy, happiness, and contentment have been perverted in the materialistic culture in which we live today. Let us look at our text verses and see how great joy came into the cities of the world. Now, I'm going to confess this to you tomorrow. I am no theologian. I have a formal sixth grade education. I'm kind of like Jethro, the Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) And gypsies take their children out of school very early because, remember, they don't want them to blend into society. And so I went back and got my high school diploma and took Bible training for ministry. But I'm not a deep preacher. Most of what I preach is on the surface. But you know there's enough good stuff on the surface that we can satisfy the long of our let's collect some gold and some nuggets of gold and silver and some precious stones from deep passages scripture number one i'm going to give you four things of how we get great joy into the city number one i want you to look at verse five then philip went down to the city of samaria number one there needs to be a preacher there needs to be a preacher who becomes the mouthpiece and the voice of God I always say that the word of God will preach itself it just needs a voice by the design of God he's chosen men to preach his word to proclaim the truth of the word that's why Paul said to Timothy preach the word in season out of season rebuke reprove and exhort with all love and suffering and doctrine the responsibility of lifting up Christ and proclaiming him there needs to be a preacher and Philip was. Was the preacher in our story. Philip was a man who was always ready to preach God's word. He opened his mouth and Jesus came out. What does it say in verse 5? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. We were the preachers in 1995 when we first went to Eastern Europe. We had saw a homemade video from a Romanian national who came to the United States, he was a pastor there under communism and he escaped communism literally crossing the Danube River with his little boy over his head while border guards were shooting at him. And but he lived in the community where some of my gypsies are. And he showed us a homemade video of the gypsies of Think of Romania. Our heart was pierced, this is the fall of communism. We didn't know what things were like for the gypsies prior to that. And we knew that we had to go firsthand and see it for ourselves. So in the in May of 1995, myself and another missionary, we took a direct flight from Cleveland, Ohio to Budapest, Hungary. There's a large population of Hungarians in Cleveland, and so they had direct flights. And then we took public transportation into Oradia, Romania, which is the large town of to the county of Bihor. And unbeknownst to us, the National had moved back to Romania to establish churches amongst the Gypsy people, but he didn't go to the rural gypsies that were in that video, we went to the major city, we didn't want to be in the major city. We wanted to be in the rural area to see those gypsies that we saw in the video. So we didn't stay with him in the large town. We got a boarding house that we stayed in that if it had water, it was cold. There was no screens in the windows, and so we had a lot of visitors every night. And uh, there were no restaurants, but my sister had sent with me two three-pound Hickory Farm beef sticks, you know, the ones you get at Christmas time? And I had taken with me a case of Raymond chicken noodle soup. You know, the ones that are 100 for a dollar? Not really. (laughs) And I took a little collapsible Coleman stove. no, you took, couldn't take Sterno on an airplane, and I did. And that's what we ate every day, beef stick and Raymond Chickle noodle soup. We got some of the fresh homegrown tomatoes, best tomatoes I've ever eaten in the world, and got some fresh baked bread from the bakery, but we didn't care about food. We didn't have a car. We didn't care about living conditions. We grabbed our backpacks and walked off into the small villages all around our, our accommodations. Now gypsies don't necessarily, there isn't a gypsy town or a gypsy village. Every village and town has a part of it where the gypsies live. They're parcels of land that was given to them by the Romanian communist, Romanian government, usually on the fringe of the village or on the fringe of the town, near the dumps, railroad tracks, out of mainstream society. When we went to the little villages, it was easy to find that parcel of land. But when we came to the town of Tinka, Tinka was a town of 5,000 people. We didn't know where that gypsy part of town was. We spoke no Romanian, so we couldn't ask a national, but as we entered the town, there was a small gypsy boy about six years old. He was absolutely filthy from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, and he was gazing into a storefront window. And I walked up to him and I said, Kaile Roma. Remember I'm fourth generation gypsy, 5,000 miles away, but never lost my language. That means where are the gypsies? He didn't see a Bible because they were in our backpacks, but he took us by the hand and he led us clear across town to a small one-room house. Now, when I say a small one-room house, it couldn't have been bigger than 10 foot by 10 foot, maximum 12 by 12. And as he came to the door, he didn't knock. He just opened the door quietly and tiptoed in. I looked at the missionary with me and said, we better follow in the same way. And when we walked into this room, we saw right away why he was entering quietly. Nobody lived in this house. This is a house where gypsies would assemble for the specific purpose of prayer. And when we walked in, there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle. They didn't know we were in there. One gypsy man was praying out loud, and I want you to see the sovereignty of God in this. He was praying in the gypsy language, and gypsies are bilingual all over the world. They speak the indigenous language of the host nation and the gypsy language, just like me. Had he prayed in Romanian, I wouldn't have understood a word of his prayer, but the sovereign father had him pray in gypsy, and this was his prayer. God, send us someone. Send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel, for we are very confused. Now, to understand how genuine his prayer was, This is 1995. Communism had fallen six years prior. And in those six years, every cult and his brother were coming from the West confusing these primitive people. Telling them that if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven. That would be a real problem for us Americans who like barbecue. (laughs) Telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven. And telling them that if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven. So his prayer was genuine. He said, amen. He opened his eyes, stood to his feet, and I was standing right in front of him. And I said to him in the gypsy language, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? And I presented to him a simple plan of salvation. You want to know why I chose a simple plan of salvation? because it's a simple plan of salvation. Amen. And he and several others in that room fell on their knees and received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. He was a professional accordion player. He would play at Romanian weddings but would last two, three days. He would take his accordion to the prayer meeting to play Christian songs before they prayed. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they cry hard, they fight hard, and they celebrate hard. And he grabbed his accordion, we all went outside, He'd Began to play. Before you know it, gypsies were coming out of the woodwork. It was like the Pipe Piper. I think they thought it was a party. <laughs> and there on the dirt roads of Tinka Romania, I preached the gospel again. Many were saved. We had our first baptism in August of that year in the nucleus of the Mana Baptist Church of Tinka Romania amongst the gypsy people that had been established. The man I heard pray was a man by the is a man by the name of Giza Feketa. He is now the national pastor of four of our churches. There needs to to be a preacher, someone who takes the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. And the preacher must obey the call of God upon his life. Just like Isaiah 6, where where God says, I heard the voice of the Lord. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And he will go for us. Then he said, here am I, send me. God knew that Isaiah would, would answer the call. He was just wanting a volunteer. And the preacher must be sent. That's what missions is all about. This means say amen. This means really say amen. And these used to be flat. (laughs) Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's missions. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. As an assistant pastor of a church. I had a perfect working relationship with my pastor. He would say, jump, and I would say, how high? And uh, he, my pastor was six foot, seven inches tall. I literally looked up to him. And when he would baptize, I would go behind Pastor Don to help him prepare for baptism. He'd sit down in a chair. He wore a 13 and a half triple E shoe, and I would untie those shoes. And I would take off his socks, and I'd see those 13 and a half triple E feet. And you know what would go through my mind? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. There needs to be a preacher. At the time of the Titanic disaster, there was a man by the name of John Harper. He was a 39-year-old widower. His wife had just passed away. He and his young daughter, about six years old, and his sister were on the Titanic going from London to Chicago because he was going to preach at Moody Church. On the night of that disaster, he was able to get his daughter and his sister on a lifeboat, but John Harper stayed in the icy cold waters of the North Atlantic floating on whatever he was floating on, going around from person to person who was floating, proclaiming to them the gospel. On that night, one survivor says this, I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me, is your soul saved? Then I heard him call out to others as he and every one of me sank beneath the waters there alone in the night with two miles of water under me I cried to Christ to save me I am John Harper's last convert there needs to be a preacher that's the process in our story our goal is to get to verse 8. What's the goal? goal? And there was great joy in that city. And the first component is there needs to be a preacher. But I want you to see the next part. You'll find it in the same verse, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, watch now, and preached Christ unto them. Not only does there need to be a preacher, but there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. You say, well, what else is a preacher going to preach? Pastor, really? (laughs) I watch him all the time. They all don't preach Jesus. Hello? There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. Philip was our faithful preacher always to preach Christ. Don't lose your place, but go to the 34th verse and you'll see the conversion of the eunuch. And it says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of who speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Watch now, verse 35. Read it along with me. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him. Who? Jesus. When Philip would open his mouth, Jesus would come out. Not only was he the preacher called by God, but he was the preacher proclaiming Jesus because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. My responsibility, every responsibility of every preacher is to preach Christ.
0: Amen.
1: And in this day and age of compromise and ecumenicalism, we have preachers to Standing on the platforms of America preaching everything but Jesus and shame on them.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, I'm a little enthusiastic about that. Right. <laughs> Philip was faithful to preach. It's the message of the good news. That's what the gospel is, is it not? Mm-hmm. We say in the gypsy language, elashivascha. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also receive, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, it's all about Jesus. Right. Amen. Help me, church. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Cover to cover. It's woven together with the scarlet thread of redemption. If you can't find Jesus in every book of this Bible, there's something wrong with you because it's all about Christ. We preach this book. We preach the purity of it. We preach the love of it. We preach the grace of it. We preach the mercy of it. We preach Christ virgin born. We preach his sinless life. We preach his miracles that he made the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf. He raised the dead to life. We preach him crucified. We preach him buried. We preach him risen from the dead and we preach him coming back and all God's people said, amen, Amen. there needs to be a preacher, there needs to be a proclamation, but I want you to see the third component of how we get to verse 8, now remember our goal, and there was great joy in that city, we're not going to see the great joy in the cities of America, let alone the mission fields of the world, unless there's some preachers, Unless there's some preachers who proclaim Christ. And I want you to see the third component. I call this one the missing element. You'll find it in verse 6. And the who? Say it again. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles of what he did. Number one, there needs to be a preacher. Number two, there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. But number three, there needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. Help me, church. You see, it's it's not just the preacher, Pastor. There needs to be a people. And we did not get the verse 8. Our goal is to verse 8. We didn't get the verse 8 with just Philip alone. We didn't get the verse 8 with the proclamation alone. It took the people for us to get the verse 8. And the people united with the man and with the message. They united because he preached the truth. They united because he preached God's word. They united because he preached Christ. They united because he preached with God's power. They united, watch now, they united because his life matched his message. Mm -hmm. They united because they witnessed the power to God. They paid attention to what he said and did and followed the man sent from God. Have you ever heard this phrase? All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I don't know about you, but we're living in the midst of that right now. We need a people. We need the body of Christ to unite with the missionaries and the pastors and the evangelists. Hey, listen, we need a Christianity today, listen to me, that separates the men from the boys. I call the church the sleeping beauty. She needs the kiss of her prince to awaken her out of her sleep and her slumber to do what Christ has called us to do as the church. And you know what, church? It might take that we might have to get out of our comfort zone. Oh, it's quiet in here now. (laughs) It's okay, I'm leaving here in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) It takes people. Can't do it without you. No matter how dedicated we are, Pastor Don, no matter how passionate, no matter how compassionate we are, how much fervency is in our work and our passion. I, uh, I'm not tooting my own home, but I'm a very busy preacher. Very busy preacher. Wednesday night, I filled in for a pastor. Thursday morning, I preached chapel to 200 kids. Thursday night, I preached to the gypsies. Friday morning, I preached in Pakistan. Friday night, I, uh, I went to the prison. And this morning at 4 a.m. with the gypsies of Romania, I tried to keep busy for my Lord but we need a people. This missionary can't do it without the people. We can't do it without the churches supporting us, praying for us. There needs to be a people. They got saved and there was great joy in that city. But I want you to see something. Now, I'm gonna finish here. The first three things we talked about was something that needs to be put into the equation. Preacher needs to go into the com- com- equation. Proclamation of Christ needs to go into the equation. Help me. Help? The people, that's good. Yes, people need, yeah. The people need, to but watch now. I'm going to show you something that needs to be taken out of the equation. We're getting to verse 8. The goal is verse 8, is it not? And there was great joy joy in that city. We will not get great joy into the cities of the world with the preacher, the proclamation, and the people until we take care of verse 7. You all look down to look at it. (laughs) By the design of God, verse 7 comes before verse 8. It's not just numerical. The verses were not originally numbered. By the design of God, he told us, I told you I'm not a theologian, I'm not deep. This is all on the surface, but there's enough on the surface here. It's very easy to see there needs to be a preacher. It's very easy to see there needs to be a proclamation. It's very easy to see there needs to be a people. But we bypass verse 7. And go straight to verse 8. You're all looking at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Here's the fourth point. In order to get the verse 8, there needs to be a pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. Yes. I want you to look at verse 7. We'll read it. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. You say, oh, you're one of those casting out demon type preachers. Brother Stevens, we don't have demonic activity in America. You know what we do here? We camouflage it. We paint it over. We dress it up. Mm -hmm. But it's here. Mm -hmm. Now, with my gypsy people, it's obvious. They can't cover it up. It's obvious that there's demonic activity. I preached in Bulgaria on the streets of Vadin. Uh, my, my people and my group were on one side of the street. The, the Bulgarian gypsies were on the other side of the street. And we had blocked off the street. And there I'm proclaiming the gospel, giving the invitation. Almost directly in front of me across the street, a young woman in her mid-20s comes out in the middle of the street, throws her hands up. And there she's answering the invitation to be saved. And there in the middle of the street, Brother Don, she falls to her sides. And starts rolling with her hands to her side when my national pastor Gefecta goes to deal with her lady, he told me that a masculine voice was coming out of her and if you a woman tries to talk like a man, no matter what, you can still tell she 's a woman. Mm-hmm. We began praying, she came to her senses, Giza presented the gospel to her, she received the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal savior. she jumped up threw her hands in the air and said, I'm free at last, I'm finally free, and it was known that she was demonically possessed in that community, and now is a part of the church. I was preaching in Timmy Shore, Romania, small church, about a quarter of your auditorium, a dear friend of mine, Pete Heisey, answered the call to work with gypsies under my ministry, He pastored up in upstate New York. And there, as I was preaching, I noticed a woman all dressed in black about halfway back. I thought maybe she was a widow, grieving. But while I was preaching, I watched her grab the chair in front of her and she began shaking the chair. At the invitation, she came forward. She knelt to my left. We don't have very many altar workers, but Pastor Pete went to deal with her. Later, he told me that she was just shaking there at the altar. She prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ. She was dressed in black because she was the local witch. Her name was Maria Bogdan. It was a week, night, a whole week of meetings. You know who was at the door of the church every night, the first one? Maria Bogdan. She got baptized and became a productive member of the church, and she went home to be with Jesus. You see, great joy can't come to the cities of the world unless we have a preacher who's proclaiming Christ. And the people are uniting. And together, we're pulling down the strongholds of Satan. You know what? I love this nation. I'm a patriot. Don't doubt my patriotism. I think it's the greatest nation in all the world. I've been to 24. In all its imperfection, it doesn't get any better than the U.S. of hay. But you know what we've done in America? We haven't taken Satan out of the equation. We've put him into the equation. Quiet in here. What do we need to do, preacher? We need a preacher. We need a proclamation of Christ. We need a people who are going to pull down the strongholds of Satan. I'll give you the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. Ready. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, yeah. casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Satan must be taken out of the equation. We need to enter into the strong man's house and spoil his house. Didn't Jesus say so? Matthew chapter 3, verse 27. No man can enter into the strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Listen to me, church. God has called me to spoil the strong man's house. You know, there's one thing about being a thief you don't forget how. Hello? I haven't forgotten how to steal. I still know how. I keep it under control of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I'm still stealing. And do you know what I'm stealing? The souls of gypsy men and gypsy women out of the hands of the strong men. You say, what do you do? You go to the one who's taken them hostage? No, I don't go to the hostage taker. I go to the hostage. And what do I tell the hostage? If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And we're stealing the souls of gypsies out of the hand of the devil. In our story, they chased away the devil that stole their joy and happiness in the first place. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief cometh not but for the steal and the kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Only the love of Christ can break the bondage of our people. We can rise to be what God wants us to be. When the preacher is sent from God and goes to a people proclaims Christ, And the people are obedient to the proclamation. There's a pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. The demons can't take it and they run. And the product is there is great joy in the city. I'm going to close this message with this thought. Is Satan afraid of you? Are you rattling the devil's cage? Because that's the kind of Christianity we need today. Radical rattle the devil's cage Christianity. Here's a question. Do the demons know your name? Do you remember that story in the book of Acts chapter 19 about a man by the name of Sceva and his sons? Y'all remember that story? And Sceva was casting out demons without the authority of God. And here's what the demons said to Sceva and his sons. Now watch closely. Here's what the demon said. Jesus, I, no, here's what Sceva said. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I cast you out. And here's what the demon said to Skeva and his sons. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? So here's the question, church. Does the demonic world know your name? Because if the demonic world knows your name, then you are a threat to them. In the demonic world, Jesus and Paul were on the same level. Not that Paul was the Savior or the Son of God who died for the world, but that he was a threat to them. Are you rattling the devil's cage? Your prayers, your giving, your church attendance will rattle the devil's cage. That's what God has called us to do. Why? So we can see great joy in the cities. I have a bookmarker that says this. Live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, Satan shudders and says, "Oh no, he's awake."
0: Do y'all get that? Yeah.
1: You say, "Oh well, (laughs) preacher, that's that's old. That's from the Bible. That's not that's not for today. That rattling the devil's cage. We we've passed that." Maybe because we believe that, that's why we're the predicament we're in. (laughs) For evil to triumph, good men need do nothing.